Namaste Muka. And I'm Amanda Day. And, and you're, you're listening to season two of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever-evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. Woohoo! Full disclosure, y'all. We're Southern. Mm-hmm. So we say y'all. Mm-hmm. It happens. Hey, sometimes we say all y'all, and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but we never say y'all to just one person, because you know what? That is wrong. It's plural. We're here to help. This podcast is brought to you by Season 2 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, and grant mock review. Visit their website, www.dhleonardconsulting.com to learn more. So today we are sharing Grant Horror Stories ripped from the headlines. I've missed our (laughs) musical interludes. I'm sure our sound editor is always like, ladies, what are you doing? Oh, that's okay. Sorry, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Um, I feel like we're totally doing an episode of Law and Order. Dum, dum. Yep. All we need now is those sounds between events. Sorry, I, I done done prematurely. <laughs> dum, dum. I'm seeking medical help for that condition. <laughs> so actually, it is true. Sadly, there are plenty of stories and news articles surrounding grant fraud. We're highlighting a few of them today, not necessarily to call anyone out, although let's hold up what you did, but also, hey... Let's learn. Let's don't do that. Let's be on the lookout. Let's protect grant money and other gifts, donations from individuals or what have you, because it really needs to go to the greater good, the transformative change that you want to make in the community, not to line your pockets. Exactly. Mm. Um, When I last worked as a municipal employee, before I switched to doing contract work, I would share articles like these with my program managers and finance folks and other staff because it was a great way to explain why it's so important to be honest and truthful and to remember that grant funding is not your own funding. So for me, it was kind of a, hey, look, when you think Amanda's being a jerk because I won't let you not follow procurement or... Y'all, I have to interrupt. You know, Amanda, is <laughs> genetically impossible for her to be a jerk. Now, me... That's another story for another time. <laughs> yes, okay. Mm. But yeah, but the, trust me, there were people. I remember once um, had to kind of draw a line in the sand with um, a police officer that was nothing huge, but you know, and, and he looked at me and he goes, of course, I get the grant writer that's a black and white person. I'm like, yeah, because grants are very black and white. Not really any gray there, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> Certainly not in terms of how you spend the money, the fact exactly. that it's not free money, the fact that you have to do what you said you were going to do with the funds that you received and the manner in which you described. Yes. It's pretty straightforward. Yep. So, but, um, and luckily we were able to work that out. But anyway, so. So let's dive right in and let's talk about a couple of recent headlines. We're going to describe it. We're going to reference it. We're going to get you our receipts, as the children say. Although they probably don't say that anymore because if I know to say receipts, that means it's <laughs> slang that is hopelessly outdated. So do with us what you will. I've never heard that before, though. You're so, you're so hip. Oh, Amanda, Amanda, Amanda. <laughs> so anyway, we are going to dive on in and talk about it. First up, ah, my city, city of Atlanta and HUD, housing and urban development. So here's the deal. This article came out um, in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution 
um, written by Willoughby Mariano and published July 22nd, 2019. The headline, which certainly did catch my eye, 41 million in city HIV housing funds unspent as providers go unpaid. It's a whole lot of mess right there. It's a whole, you already know. You already know. <laughs> this ain't good. There's millions of dollars. Dun, dun. <laughs> I know, right? And people who are living with HIV and AIDS often have special housing needs, often are unable to work full time as their disease or condition progresses. And there is federal money and and state money as well uh, sure. providing for this. And there are nonprofits that are serving folks who are struggling with this. So just lots of, lots of possibilities here um, for things to go wrong. And they did. So what happened is the city of Atlanta received $101 million. In fact, they received that since 2014. So let's just, it's cumulative yeah. from the from HUD, which is the federal agency, Housing yes. and Urban Development. And often there's state agencies and local agencies with the same HUD title. But I want to be clear, it's federal funds for city-run housing opportunities for persons with HIV AIDS, persons with AIDS. So here's the trick. $41 million, as referenced in the headline, in unspent funds represented about 40% of that $101 million. So it's, let's be clear. It's not that they spent it wrong. They just had this money to serve a purpose and weren't spending it. On, it was just like sitting there, basically, unused, even though the need was there. The need was there, and they someone wrote the grant that was well-written, I'm assuming, and received this funding, but you got to spend it. And mm -hmm. But what what happens here is a very sad sort of domino effect. So so there's $41 million sitting somewhere. I don't want to be clear. No one bought a pony, paid for a wedding reception, got a condo in Fort Lauderdale, bought a jet ski, I don't know, whatever else you would do. <laughs> no one did that, but the money was just sitting there, which is a big form of noncompliance, and they had a domino effect, as I said, coming through. So what happened is this money was languishing somewhere, and then the invoices by the providers of subsidized housing, the nonprofits that I mentioned earlier, they weren't getting paid through this grant as they were entitled to do. And I'm, I mean, reading between the lines, I'm assuming the city of Atlanta probably couldn't do all the work themselves. So they contract with probably multiple nonprofits to actually do the work. Oh, so they're out there doing it. They're and, doing it. And saying, Atlanta, we need to be reimbursed for city these of Atlanta. expenses. And that's and common. Not that's a, it, right? that's, yeah, that's a, that's a common, common thing to have um, nonprofits be sub-recipients or contractors, mm -hmm. depending on, on the relationship uh, with a primary awardee, in which case this was city of Atlanta to do this. So that's, that's also above board. But they weren't getting paid, these providers of subsidized housing. So what happened was one nonprofit agency had to furlough employees and couldn't pay the subsidies for the for the recipients of the grant, the people living with AIDS, um, because of this lag. And landlords then started eviction processes for 250 of this nonprofit agency's clients. So 250 households you might have been in an apartment with a loved one, a partner, spouse, friend. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You were getting kicked out 
because you could not afford the rent in Atlanta, which is high, and because you were struggling with a chronic disease. Yeah, and you had gone through the motions. You had done everything right. Assistance from this you, nonprofit, but they couldn't pay because they weren't getting paid from the city, even though the money was there. So this is an egregious example of, of just poor management of funding, and it had immediate and super negative impacts on the very people that this grant wanted to serve. And, you know, it's, it's a little hard to comprehend how this happened, and I don't have any insider knowledge of why it happened. Was it that there was a turnover in Atlanta's HUD Then no one knew? Was there a miscommunication? Whatever it was. It's, I mean, was it even, City of Atlanta was so overrun with all of its invoices, they could have been behind on paying invoices across the city as a whole, not just this one particular grant. I don't know. But it's one thing if you're behind on your own personal bills and you get a warning <laughs> notice. It's something else if you're behind on your bills and people with AIDS get kicked out of housing for which they were legally entitled to reside in because of this. So. Yeah. We spend a lot of time talking about, oh, poor grant management. It'll it'll get you. It'll get your agency. It'll get this and that. You could go to jail. True. But people you're trying to serve could be kicked out on the street yeah. or um, big uh, tracts of parklands could go under the bulldozer or uh, response times to crimes and fires could dramatically increase because you don't have the money to pay for new equipment and hire officers and first responders. So please, please, if you can take anything away from this rip from the headlines, if you are managing grants or know someone who is, be organized, be timely, and keep your focus on those you're serving. Yep, very good. So let's talk about a different story here. So I feel like we need another bump, bump. Dun, dun. Um, fraud can happen even before the grant is awarded. Okay. So mm-hmm. we're already talking about grant management. Let's mm-hmm. talk about grant writing. We're fraud. rolling it back, y'all. Oh, yeah. So here's a story about a lady who defrauded multiple churches through a grant writing scheme. So this is like the church lady grant fraud thing. Let's bring it. <laughs> the church lady that... That makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. So um, the story we got came from the WKBW staff in Buffalo, New York. Um, so this is a local news station. They shared an article entitled Woman Accused of Scamming Churches Out of $200,000. Churches, y'all. Churches. Know, churches. Um, and this um, was printed on March fifteenth, two 2018. So not too long ago. Mm-mm. So here's what happened. Christina Sanford Gordon, she was charged with this grant writing scheme. And basically what she did is she set up, Hey, I'm a grant writer. I'm a grant writer for hire. And I specialize in helping churches. Okay. And there are plenty of legitimate grant writers and consultants for hire that do this. We are in no way implying that everyone who does this is crooked, but this lady crooked, like a stick in water. Well, it's one of those things. I mean, it's, it's this double-edged sword, right? As a grant writer, in some ways, it's awesome that there is you don't have to go and spend six years getting some sort of higher-level degree to be mm-hmm. able to be a grant writer. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you can learn on the job and you can do. We're both perfect examples of that. Oh, it's so perfect. Perfect. <laughs> but it's also bad because anybody can throw up their shingle and say, I'm a grant writer, and they may not. I mean, 
not only worst case fraud scenario, but they just may not be that good. And they're, you know, giving you poor product and not helping you meet your funding needs and your mission goals and all those kinds of things. So, but anyway, so, but she puts out her shingles, says, Hey, I'm a grant writer for hire. Mm -hmm. Several churches decided to hire her. Okay. Because not a lot of churches are large enough to have fundraising and grant writing. Oftentimes, particularly I'll speak into the Christian faith community, you would have volunteers who serve on the stewardship committee, but it kind of ends there for most churches. And not only that, but faith-based funding is such a unique niche Mm -hmm. in the market that Mm -hmm. there, I mean, Mm -hmm. even though I don't even know that I would want to tackle something like that. I never have. It's such a unique model that there, there are a few people we both know that are really good in that arena. Um, But it's, it's a unique niche. So, but anyway, so they hire her, she takes their money and she never wrote a grant proposal. I believe she took some money up front. Yes. So she got paid. Well, Here's the, she even if she got paid after she basically told them she submitted grants. So it's not that she took oh, the money girl. and never wrote them. She convinced them that no, I submitted grant proposals on your behalf. So pay me for this, okay? But she took mm-hmm. it a step further. Mm-hmm. She <gasps> then wrote fake grant award letters from the state of New York. Okay. Um, and she submitted it to the churches saying, Hey, guess what? That grant I wrote, congrats. You've won half a million dollars. You've won this much money. Okay. Oh my gosh. And most of these churches were going after funding for um, capital improvement type projects to so their buildings and parking lots. Okay. And I am not a specialist, certainly at all, in any way, shape, or form of state of New York public funding, but I would like to point out that most public funding, not all, but most of it, does not go toward faith communities because it's federal funds and there's sort of stipulations about this. And the state of New York, I can't imagine deviating from federal funding. Do you see where I'm getting yeah, at? It's like probably a the whole thing is, unless they were historic buildings, mm-hmm. I'm, the whole thing. But you know what? If you're a church struggling to keep your lights on or and, you, and your roof's leaking, you're not going to know all these nuances and details. So. Well, heck, I mean, most, the common person has no idea what grants can and can't That's do. True. So if, if someone, the expert you hire tells you, you're going to believe them, right? Girl, so, she was cold-blooded yeah. making her little logos and her little letterhead <laughs> and sending it back. So what happened next? Yeah. So sadly, a few of these churches, again, not understanding grant rules and regulations, they see the award letter and think, sweet, we've got half a million dollars coming in. Let's go ahead and get the work started. So mm. they're they're going in, they're hiring contractors to do work. Um, um, one of the examples, there was a reverend. He, first of all, paid Gordon um, $4,575 of his own personal money to write the grant. So the church couldn't even afford her. So he was like, I will personally pay for this because this oh. is my church where I'm pastoring, right? Good man. Okay. So then she tells them, hey, you've been awarded $500,000. They were going to have a new roof. So they started to tear off the roof of their church. In the midst of all this is when they figure out this is all fake. And when the roofing company realized they weren't going to be paid, they basically walked off the job. Okay. And so they started demolition. So there's not a hole up there, but there's a lot of plywood mm-hmm. there. So it's, it's covered, but it ain't covered good. It's, mm-hmm. you know, one good mm-hmm. rain and that church mm-hmm. is going to be leaking everywhere. And it rains a lot in New York state. So yes. there you are. And the, the cost to fix the demolition to date is $43,000. The church doesn't have that money. So now they've, they already had a bad roof. Now they have roof with holes in it that they can't fix because of this whole fraud. Okay. Mm. Um, now there was, um, a later article printed on June 12th, 2018 in the Buffalo news first. 
newspaper online. Um, it was entitled Buffalo Woman Sentenced in Phony Grant Writing Scheme. Okay, so we learned that because of all this, um, Gordon was sentenced to 7 to 15 years for defrauding those churches. Okay. Um, and it's also interesting to note, I discovered in this article that she started this grant writing scheme mere months after being released from federal prison for prior unrelated charges. So this is maybe her first grant scheme, but it's not <laughs> her first. This isn't her first criminal rodeo. No. my friend. So yeah. So a few lessons learned from this story. First of all, if you're going to hire a grant consultant, do your mm. homework. Mm. Anybody can claim they're a grant writer, but that doesn't mean that they are. So I always tell people, you know, get do reference checks, ask for copies of, you know, previously funded work. And if someone approaches you just out of the blue and you've never had any experience with grant writing before and don't really know how it works, I get the feeling that that's maybe what happened here. Like she was specifically targeting smaller churches, churches mm -hmm. and defrauding them, which is also really... But it's one thing if your organization has decided, well, we're ready to seek grant funding for our capital campaign or whatever it is. But if someone just calls you like... Think of it as like you're just minding your own business at home and someone calls you and wants to sell you a new roof. Think about it like that versus, gosh, honey, our roof is leaking. Let me call some contractors and get some bids. You see, that's very different. It's yes. reactive versus proactive. And I just would put that out there because generally if people want to give you, approach you and they're strangers and they want to give you something for free, um, it may not be what you think it is. This is true. Yeah. So um, another lesson learned here is don't ever start any grant related work until you have a signed contract in place from the funder. And yes, because she faked an award letter, but usually with award letters, there's some sort of agreement, whether it's yes. emailed to you, you go online with DocuSign or whether it's an actual physical paper document that you sign and then they sign. There's got to be something there. It can't just be, hey, congratulations, you won this award. It has yeah. to be a lot more to it. That was your good radio voice there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then the last thing is, um, this is a good rule of thumb for anything. As an organization, when you hire a contractor, you would hope they were doing things in your best interest. But ultimately, they're not an employee of yours. Mm. So even if your contractor says, hey, congrats, you won this grant award, you need to be in contact contact with a funder. Like when I write grants as a contractor, my name is nowhere on anything. So when you get grant awards, it's going to come to you, my client, the grant recipient, not to me because the money's not mine, it's yours. So it should automatically be coming to you. And if not, you need to start making some phone calls for yourself. And you need to own that relationship. If you're yes. the agency, the nonprofit, what have you, that agency owns the relationship, not necessarily the grant writing consultant or the grant developer or the fundraising consultant. It works for individual giving as well. I would just strongly urge that, that you're hiring them to provide a technical skill yeah. or advisement or strategic planning or what have you, but you're the one moving forward that owns that relationship. The checks come to you, the letters yes. come to you, the phone calls and everything. That's you. And you bring them in to help, not the other way around. Absolutely. All so right. if you do go check out these articles, you can see the money she made from these churches. Um, she was, and the, it, the money was gone because she was spending it. She had some lavish vacations and was buying clothes and jewelry. And um, so she spent it as quickly as she was well, I hope she looks good in it. orange because I feel like that's what's going on uh, here. Well, that, that is. She got 7 to 15 years behind bars for this. Wow. So. 
So next up, dun, dun. <laughs> thanks, grant, <laughs> grant management is more than paying attention to the money. It's also about being truthful and honest in your work, what you say you're going to do with the mm-hmm. money that is all laid out in all those proposals and agreements and in the reporting. So another straight up ripped from the headlines. The following information comes from a March 27th, 2019 article in Government Executive. This is an online Mm -hmm. um, newsletter and website service. The the headline is, Duke University pays $112 million to settle federal grant fraud case. And yes, we're talking about Duke University, like a very well-established, well-respected. So just to say that this can happen to anybody. It's not like, oh, well, they were kind of a fly-by-night, no wonder. No, there was, mm, there was this is an established university with uh, some, some, some things to answer for. Yeah. So this came about because a whistleblower <laughs> shared information that led to charges of grant fraud, which is a fairly common way that some of this stuff comes to light, which is why if you or someone you know is seeing this going on in an organization where you work or where you volunteer, there probably are ways to let people know. Oh, yeah. The federal government has a whole whistleblower policy that protects people when they turn in folks that are mishandling federal grants. So there's, you know, there's lots of stuff in place if uh, you're in such a situation. Hopefully not, but... uh... So let's delve into what was going down. Between 2006 and 2018, Duke received nearly 30 grants, give or take, from the National Institute of Health and the Environmental Protection Agency, also, of course, known as EPA. According to the Department of Justice, a Duke lab tech was conducting experiments on the lung function of mice. Hey, we're just leaving. Gotta do, someone's got to do it. The I'll, mice are not happy about this, but I can only imagine that a greater good is coming from this. My husband and two children both suffer from asthma, and it's okay. studies like this that help with okay. new medicine and techniques. So it's it's not a bad thing. So just know that this is the a lab at Duke University, um, and the, again, these experiments on the lung function of mice, and then they submitted false information on grant applications and reports. Yeah. Basically kind of, and I don't know if the experiments were not going the way they expected. And so they were afraid money was going to be lost or if maybe they weren't doing the experiments like they should. There's not a whole lot of detail in this article about that, but just know they were reporting things that were not accurate as a result of the testing they were doing. And not only were there some inaccurate and false reporting going on Apparently, according to this article, a lab tech was involved in embezzlement. The same Same lab lab tech. tech. So that's how it's kind of started. So it's there's false reporting, there's embezzlement. And this, again, is all in the we gave the site for the article earlier. So you can all go check it out. So um, another employee was the whistleblower. But check this out, y'all. He was awarded. $33,750,000 for whistleblowing as a part of that $112 million settlement. So in the Fed's whistleblower policy, they state that if you turn in an organization or a person who's defrauding the federal government and they are able to recoup those 
that money that wasn't used the way it was supposed to, that as a thank you for and an incentive for people to turn in their potential coworkers, right? That you're going to get a percentage of the money they recoup. And so because it was such a big amount, you and got I, a whatever that percentage would be. Big old settlement. He's, I, I guess he's retired somewhere now, I'm thinking. I would think <laughs> so. So the lesson here is that crime may not pay, but whistleblowing sure can. <laughs> it's possible. We So the $112 million repaid was for um, grants received as a result of the the faulty data, remember earlier, faulty data, as well as some other penalties. And Duke had to retract several scientific articles that reference the faulty data. Yeah, so it wasn't just, hey, you messed up on this one grant. Because mm, of the results mm, of this grant, mm, we mm. awarded you five or ten more to keep the research going, and then you're reporting and putting in an article, so everybody's doing other data and other, you know, investigating based on this it's information. Cumulative. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's cumulative. kind of snowballed in, in that community. So, and a move that should surprise no one, uh, Duke also announced, hey, we're taking new steps to ensure something like this doesn't happen again. Way to go. Um, The lesson learned here is, obviously, there's a lot of information out there on the importance of the checks and balances when it comes to tracking the money. And Amanda and I, as, as grant management and grant writing trainers, talk a whole lot about this, but we're also careful to talk about you've got to make sure that the outcomes that you're reporting, even if you're not the person gathering them, help educate people who are gathering that data, that it's one, it's okay if things don't go according to plan. If it you happens go, it happens. All the time. It's War life. stories are plenty, but the trick is to report it out and to Accurately. not pressure people to kind of judge up, yeah, judge, fudge, juice up, whatever the outcomes to make the agency look better, because ultimately. It's just not going to make anybody look better. The only person that looks really good in this is the wealthy whistleblower. Yeah. So, man, I think my biggest lesson learned here, and anytime I see articles like these or hear about grant fraud, is that I don't ever want to see my name or my agency's name in print like this. That's I'm trying to avoid that at all costs. Same. Which you do by being honest, right? Yeah. And it's also, you know, it's easier. It's just straight up easier yeah. to not lie about things. If you're ethically, if you're like, well, a little lie. No, it's just easier. You know, then you don't have to remember anything but the truth. Just saying. Um, ultimately, the best rule for grant professionals is to know the rules, to read and understand the grant and the grant agreement and be subject matter experts. Know what's in it. Follow those rules, help others to follow those rules, and just, again, just be honest about it. And also, when things are really going off the rails and it's not your doing, there probably are some whistleblower things that you could employ, some techniques and communication to ultimately stop the flow of illegal things happening with that money and get that money out where it needs to be, which is doing good and transformative things in the community. Very true. I agree with all of that. Um, And I know from personal experience, like we talked about, things will go awry because that's the world and that's grants happen. Um, The best bet in this case is just to call your funder and talk them through the issue because they have Mm -hmm. probably seen it all before. They probably have great advice on how to make sure that you stay on track with things. And for a lot of larger private funders and certainly for your larger federal agencies, such as Department of Justice, Department of Education and HHS, they have 
um, some video training, webinar training for grant management. And some of those agencies will even come to you yeah. to help your agency understand how to best manage the grant. Because it's in their best interest that you do a good job. Absolutely. It, it's in everyone's best interest that people and places and things that need this help receive it instead of it either sitting in an account or going off into someone else's pocket. Yep. Thank you again to our Season 2 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, www.dhleonardconsulting.com, to learn more. Remember, there is no specific college degree in grant writing or fundraising, but there sure are a lot of good people with experience to share, training programs, and other ways to learn. We'd love for this podcast to be one of your favorite ways to learn. And all you have to do, it is so easy, y'all, is to subscribe and tell a friend. Let us know what you would like to learn more about. You can visit our website at www.fundraisingheyday.com. That's fundraisinghayday.com. And we're also on Twitter at Funding Heyday. That's H-A-Y-D-A-Y. So, hey, don't be a stranger. That's right. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes this season, including our next discussion about Grant Advisor with the organization's co-director, Kari Onestead. It's basically the Yelp review of foundations. And if you don't know about this amazing resource, we're going to teach you all about it. Mm-hmm. Be sure to stay tuned for that. Dun-dun. Dun-dun. Ha, ha, ha.